Do you have a few minutes? This is Dr. Karen Bonney. Today, we're going to talk about a few fun fact health stats. I like to call this episode Health Stats 101 um, because let's be honest, I think some of us may know all of these answers and most of us probably don't and or most of us just need a refresher um, because we all go to the doctor and we all get our vitals taken, but do we even know what they are? Do we even know what normal numbers are? I sure don't. And I'm in the healthcare field. Um, and I have actually been more exposed to it as of late because I've been doing some per diem work for physical therapy in the home care setting. And I have been taking people's vitals every single session. And I'm going to be honest, I was like, I don't even know what the normal ranges are. So how am I supposed to know if they're out of the normal range. So I have learned since, you know, doing this job, which has been lovely. And I thought it might be helpful if I share with you guys a few of these things just to broaden the education out there. So let's begin with first defining the most common vital signs, what they mean, and like, what are the good values? So when you go to the doctor, what do they do? They normally take your height and weight Those are pretty common, pretty easy to understand. Why are they doing that? Just to get baseline norms. But they also take your blood pressure, they take your heart rate, and they also get your um, oxygen levels most of the time. So let's first talk about heart rate. A normal resting heart rate for adults normally ranges from 60 to 100 beats per minute. Generally, a lower heart rate at rest implies a more efficient heart function and better cardiovascular fitness. So at rest, you're looking to have a lower heart rate in general, if you want to have a good fitness level. There's also a wide range of like unusually high or low heart rates. But in general, if yours is consistently above 100 beats per minute at rest, that would be defined as tachycardia. Or If you're not a trained athlete and your resting heart rate is below 60 beats per minute, minute, excuse me, that is more defined as bradycardia. This is especially alarming if you also have other symptoms such as dizziness or shortness of breath. So your doctor checks your heart rate in order to kind of see where you are on a resting level. So what else do they check? Sometimes you'll go to the doctor and they will put a little device on your pointer finger. That's kind of the most common finger to use. It's an electronic device called your pulse oximeter. It is used to measure the saturation of oxygen carried in your red blood cells. In general, 89% or above is needed to keep your cells healthy. So you need 89% of your oxygen getting to your tissue cells. A oxygen saturation level of 95% is considered very typical for most healthy people. So if that little device shows 95%, that means that you're in that healthy, typical range. A level of 92% or lower can indicate potential hypoxemia, which you know might need supplemental oxygen depending on how things are going. If you get below 90, you definitely might be put on supplemental oxygen. So then what's the third one? Blood pressure. We all get our blood pressure done. That is the most common. 
And we all probably know what's the norm 120 over 80. That's what everybody says. And it is that is what the gold standard normal blood pressure is 120 over 80. But what do those numbers even mean? So the first number, the top one is your systolic blood pressure. The second one, the bottom one is the diastolic blood pressure. So what is systolic? When your heart beats, it squeezes and pushes blood through your arteries to the rest of your body. This force creates pressure on those blood vessels, and that is your systolic blood pressure. Normal values are around 120. If you are known as having an elevated uh, blood pressure, you would have like 120 to 129. Stage one high blood pressure or hypertension is 130 to 139. And stage two hypertension is 140 plus. And then the hypertensive crisis is a number that is 180 or above. If you have that top number as 180 or above, you should call 911. So what's the second number? So we said the second number is the diastolic. So what does that mean? It's the pressure in the arteries when the heart rests between beats. This is the time when the heart fills with blood and gets oxygen. Normal values are 80 or lower. So you remember 120 over 80, 80 is that norm or lower. Stage one hypertension is a number that would be like 80 to 89. Stage two hypertension would be 90 plus. And a hypertensive crisis is if your bottom number is above 120. You need to call 911. So we know that blood pressure normal range is 120 over 80. If your blood pressure is above normal range in either systolic or diastolic or both, you probably want to reduce it. And your doctor's probably going to tell you to reduce it. So there's a few things you can do. Diet, exercise. So if we're talking about the diet, we're talking about low sodium is going to help. So if you can lower your sodium intake, that is going to help. As it comes to exercise, if you increase your exercise to three to four times per week, and if you do greater than 40 minutes of aerobic exercise each time, you're going to help yourself along, lowering that blood pressure. Of course, if you do both of those things, you also might be losing weight. If you're overweight, that also could help to lower your blood pressure. You could also limit your alcohol consumption. And if all of that doesn't help, your doctor may just simply recommend a medication. There's tons of medications out there that help lower your blood pressure. Those are like diuretics or beta blockers. But definitely talk to your doctor. If you're trying all the things and if you know if your blood pressure is high, then you probably want to work on lowering it. So that's fun. So now we know about vital signs and like when you go to the doctor, they take all these things. What are the, What do they mean? Why should I be concerned? Hopefully maybe you learned something that you didn't know. So let's talk about something else. What else do we hear a lot about? And maybe a lot of us are confused about. I would like to say in my profession, there's a lot of talk about anti-inflammatories and taking medicine to help alleviate pain and inflammation. So why don't we touch on the difference between those? Because you know what? I also get confused, to be honest. So the first thing we want to talk about is what we call the category of an NSAID, N-S-A-I-D, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. 
That is a class of drugs. It is used to treat pain, fever, and other inflammatory processes. And they're divided into certain groups based on their chemical structure. So I'm not going to go into trying to describe these words because to be honest, I cannot pronounce half of them. But here are some of the categories that you're very familiar with. When we talk about aspirin, we're talking about an NSAID. When we're talking about naproxen or ibuprofen, Advil or Motrin, these are all NSAIDs. But then sometimes people say, well, wait a second, what's Tylenol? Is Tylenol not the same thing? Tylenol is an acetaminophen. Acetaminophen also relieves pain and reduces fever, but it is not an NSAID. It is not a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. Well, what the heck is the difference? Well, here's the, you know, the chemical breakdown is probably hugely different and I'm not going to go into that, but what I am going to say is Tylenol is easier on your stomach. However, it is more toxic on your liver at high doses. So easier on your stomach, more toxic for your liver. NSAIDs are harder on your stomach. It could cause intestinal ulcers. Like these are things that happen if you take a lot of them, right? But guess what? You can also take Tylenol with an NSAID. It may provide the same amount of pain relief with lower doses of both kinds, thus minimizing your side effects. So sometimes doctors recommend a combination of Tylenol and an NSAID. You can also alternate them, you know, Tylenol this time, four hours later, you know, NSAID this time, six hours later, Tylenol again, you know, whatever the case may be, your doctor's going to give you that prescription of, you know, how do you do that dosage? But that also can help lower some of those side effects. So, you know, which one do you take? Well, it, it varies. Sometimes people have one helps them more than another. And you have to kind of figure that out. Your doctor, of course, is going to give you a recommendation and you should definitely ask them for suggestions because um, they know everything about your health history, hopefully, and they can kind of better guide you through that. But from my opinion, it's take what works better for your body. And the only way you know how to like decipher that is if you have a scenario where, hey, every time my shoulder starts hurting, this is what I take. And I know it works for me. And if it doesn't work for you, then like check it off the list. You should probably cross it off the list, not check it off the list. Um, And try a different version. Because again, there's so many different options out there that are doing similar things, controlling inflammation, controlling pain, reducing fever. So pick and choose your battles there. So are you learning anything yet? I feel like I'm still confused about like Tylenol versus ibuprofen, but I think that's more clear. Tylenol equals acetaminophen and everything else that we talk about is an NSAID. Aspirin. What were the other ones? Advil, Motrin, ibuprofen. Okay. All right. Moving on. We've kind of harped on that a little bit too much, but here's one more fun health fact. So did you know that the same part of your brain is responsible for interpreting both hunger and thirst signals? Super confusing. So it's the hypothalamus. That's the portion of your brain that controls hunger and thirst. And so when we have that initial instinct of like, oh my gosh, I'm hungry. We have all done it. We mistakenly eat something thinking we're hungry when 
let's be honest, didn't we just eat like an hour and a half ago? Our body should definitely be able to go, you know, three to four hours, if not a little bit more without eating, without that true like guttural instinct, hunger pain of saying like, I need sustenance. And so what we really might be is just thirsty. So the best recommendation is if you feel hungry, if your stomach grumbles a little bit, and it's only been like an hour since you ate breakfast, number one is grab that jug of water, try to drink eight ounces, give yourself 15 minutes and see if you are no longer quote unquote hungry anymore, because probably more often than not, you are just thirsty. I also kind of use, let's just talk about thirst. Let's talk about water and hydration. I'm going to side tangent here, but if I have a headache, if I feel woozy, if I feel lightheaded, if I feel weird, if I feel off, you know, the first thing you're like, I don't know, I feel kind of funny. And you try to figure it out. The thing that I have more inadvertently done these days is like drink water. Because if I have a headache, it's probably because I'm dehydrated. And so drink water before you go immediately to maybe taking a a medication to alleviate some kind of symptom. If you're feeling a little funny and you're just like, I don't know, something feels weird, chug a glass of water. Like you might just be dehydrated. Water is, is the fuel of life. Like we all myself included. I mean, I, I have all the water bottle jugs with the things like we all need to drink more water. So if you can focus on anything, drink more water, learn all about your vitals. I hope you don't have to actually pay close, close attention to them. But if you know about them, at least you're in the right, you know, mindset to being a little more knowledgeable when you actually do need to watch them a little more closely. And as always, if you're looking for a physical therapist, remotely or in person, you know where to find me, karenbonnie.com. 